Well, our text for today is from Matthew chapter 25, which I read just a few moments ago. It's the second of the three parables that Jesus tells in that chapter. Again, it's all about the return of Christ and all of his glory, the return of the great high king of heaven. And what does that mean for our lives today? 2003, I was a pastoral intern at a Lutheran congregation in Orlando, Florida. And one of the things they want to do when you are a pastoral intern, the word that we use in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod for that intern is a vicar. And when you are a vicar, when you are an intern, of course they want to train you and help you, especially in the area of providing spiritual care especially providing spiritual care for people, for members who are in times of distress, times of poor health, or maybe even in times where they are facing the moment when they will breathe their final earthly breath, those who are in the process of dying. How do you provide care for those people? And I will say that all those years ago when I was studying and training to be a pastor that was probably the the number one thing the biggest thing that made me nervous that I felt so unsure of and uncertain of as a pastor I mean who was I to go into a hospital room in our nursing home or to someone's house and try to give them hope or help in a time of great distress facing death as a as a young man that was an overwhelming sort of thought to me but that's part of what I was doing part of what I was doing at the congregation there in Florida And so it was my day to go to the hospital. We had received word uh, that there was a man who was not a member of the congregation. He was the father of one of our preschool workers. He was someone I didn't know at all. All I knew about him was that he was in the ICU and that his condition was terminal, that he didn't have long to live. And so I got into my old Ford F-150 black pickup truck and I drove down to the hospital and I was so nervous and I was so worried and what was I going to say and what was I going to do? How could I possibly help this man? What difference could I make for this poor man? And I didn't even know at all. And I walked into the hospital. I found where the ICU was and I found his room and I walked into the room and there was no one else there and there he was lying on the bed. He's this really tall, large Jamaican man. And all you could hear was the sound of the beeping, the beeping of the machines. And I walked over to where his bed was, and he, was, he had his eyes closed, and he just sort of opened up his eyes and looked at me. But there was no recognition. There was no effect. There was, there was no, nothing there, sort of lifeless already. And he kind of closed his eyes, and so... I thought, what in the world am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to speak to this man? What am I supposed to say? I couldn't even think of any Bible verses to read. You think I might have done a little bit of preparation on my way up the elevator to his room. I couldn't think of anything to read, so I just read the first verse that came to mind, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, so on and so forth. Read Psalm 23. I kind of mumbled a prayer, don't remember what I said, and then I just walked out of the room. And I got no response, no movement, no acknowledgement that I was even there from this man. I remember I got back into my truck and I was driving back to the church. I was thinking, what in the world just happened in that room? What good could I have possibly done? What difference could I have possibly made in this person's life? 
And I think that when it comes to our work in the church, our service as the people of God, as Christians in the world, that is so often our experience. Yeah, there might be some times when there's moments of breakthrough. We might share our faith and, and we see someone maybe start to believe a little bit or we might serve someone or help someone in need. But all of our prayers and all of our desires for people to know the gospel, any work that we are doing, so often it seems like we are making no difference at all, just spinning our wheels. So how do we keep going? How do we keep faithful? How do we keep fighting the good fight? Well, that is in large part what Jesus is addressing here in this parable, the second parable from Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, as you just heard, Jesus here is connecting himself. The story is about a master. The master is symbolic of Christ. The master provides for his servants. He gives of his wealth to them to use. And then he goes away for a long time. And that's Jesus, his death, resurrection, his ascension as we wait for his return. And you've got two faithful servants who do very well, but then there's the one unfaithful servant. And look, just for the sake of time for this sermon today, we're going to assume none of you are like the unfaithful servant. None of you in the room, none of you at home are an unfaithful servant because the unfaithful servant had a terrible understanding of his master of Christ, said he was a hard man and someone who reaped where he didn't sow, and he's robbing and stealing. It's a terrible attitude. We're going to assume none of you have that attitude about Christ and this uh, third servant is one who was just so self-focused and self-absorbed didn't care about other people didn't care about spreading the good news of the love of Christ didn't care about helping others was just totally focused on himself that's none of you in the room that's none of you at home we're just going to assume that so that we can focus on what this parable does say to us who are striving who are struggling who want as many people as possible to know of the love of Jesus Christ and to make a difference in this world for the kingdom of God. How can we keep going? There's two things that Jesus is showing us here. First of all, he is showing us our identity. And secondly, he's showing us something of our ability. If you've been in one of our discipleship huddles here, this is the same thing as covenant and kingdom that we're going to talk about today for those of you who have been in, a, in one of our discipleship groups. But Jesus is showing us our identity and he's showing us our ability. Let's start with identity. What's our identity here that Jesus is showing us? That's so important. This is like a pair of glasses we can put on, a lens by which we can see a deeper reality in our life. Jesus here compares himself to a master. And we in this parable are the servants. The Greek word here for servant is the Greek word doulos. I looked at my daughter because she's learning a little Greek along with me. But the Greek word doulos, it means servant or a bond servant, or it can also be translated and understood as a slave. And for very good reasons in the history of this country and the evil of slavery in this country, that word slave, of course, has terrible connotations. But Jesus is the master and we are the slaves. We are his servants. That's who you are. That's the identity that Christ wants you to have and that you need to have. 
What it means is you do not belong to yourself. You belong to him. You know, Bob Dylan, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan. And, you know, either you really like Bob Dylan or you probably really don't like Bob Dylan. There's, there's a rare person who's in the middle. But I'm a big Bob Dylan fan, and many of you may or may not know that in the late 70s, Bob Dylan became a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, and he put out three wonderful gospel albums. And in 1981, on one of those albums called Shot of Love, he released a song called Property of Jesus. Property of Jesus, because that is how Bob Dylan understood himself. His identity, his core identity, was one who was the property of Jesus, that he did not belong to himself, that he belonged to Jesus Christ. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus Christ because you were bought with a price. As Martin Luther would say in his explanation of the second article of the Creed in his small catechism, where he says, Jesus Christ has purchased and won me, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death, so that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Jesus Christ has purchased and won you, not with gold or silver, but with what? His holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. In other words, when you wake up in the morning, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, who am I? The answer is this. You are someone that God wants so badly that God wants to have that he was willing to give his life for you. That's who you are. You are, so, think about it this way, you are so bad because of your sin. I mean, you are so bad off that it literally took God having to die for you. That's how bad you are. God had to die for you. But do you see, you are so loved, your life has such value that God was glad to die for you. The almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, died for you. That is who you are, so that you might belong to him. Have you seen the movie Toy Story? And you know, there's that little doll, Woody. And Woody, his owner, the little boy, his name is Andy. And what does Andy do? He writes his name on the very bottom of his boot with a backwards N. Because Woody Daw belonged to Andy, and in your baptism, and by God's grace, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the name of Christ is inscribed upon your heart because you don't belong to yourself. You belong to him. You are that worthy. And I will tell you that even now, 
if I'm preparing my heart to, to go into a hospital room or there's a difficult situation or a difficult ministry situation or in, in all aspects of life, I have to stop and do a gut check and I will remind myself, I'll put on that lens, this is who I am. Because so often I think when it comes to our, our, our desire for ministry or our desire to make a difference or to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ, we're, we're maybe frightened because we don't want to fail. We don't want to have those experiences like I had all the way back when I was a vicar and intern, we have to remind ourselves, first of all, of our identity, who we are. That God loves you that much. But then secondly, not just our identity, but then our ability to actually do these things that God has called us to do in this world. And I think that here in this parable, Jesus is giving us a really important insight, a clue here. In the use of the word talent, the parable of the talents, and he says he gives to the one man five talents, and he gives to the other servant two talents, and the other one who was an unfaithful one, he gives him one talent. Well, what's a talent? What well, talent and this is, I'm just using the Bible here that we normally would have in the pews, just our church Bibles here. There's a little footnote, and it says, a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years of wages for an ordinary laborer. And so this is an exaggerated, over-the-top amount of wealth and resources that this master is giving to his servants. The one who got one talent, that's 20 years of wages. The one who got two, that's 40 years of wages. Five talents, that's 100 years of wages for an ordinary servant. And what is Jesus showing us here in the use of this language and in this parable? He is saying to you as an individual Christian and us collectively as the body of Christ, the church, he is saying, I have given to you overwhelming wealth, overwhelming resources that are at your disposal. I have given you my word and the sacraments. I have given you the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells within us. As Paul would say, the same power that rose Christ from the dead is within you. In other words, Jesus is saying this overwhelming resources he's given. He's saying, look, it not about you it's about me it's not you it's not your ability you're not doing these things i'm doing these th things through you and through the church and peter who of course heard this parable and the, the, the disciples and his followers are the people that jesus is really speaking to he's not speaking to the crowds he's speaking to his disciples Peter, years later, after the death, resurrection, the ascension of Christ, as he was waiting, as we are waiting for the return of Christ, he wrote a couple of letters that we have in the New Testament, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is writing about and speaking about the coming of the return of Christ, the return of the king. He's talking about how when Christ returns in his glory, all of the darkness and the evil and sadness and sorrow and death, it'll all be destroyed. It'll, it'll just dissolve away and there'll be in its place a new heavens and a new earth, that glorious day. And as Peter is speaking about that day, he says this in verses 11 and 12. 
And this is, a, this is truly astonishing what he says here. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, in other words, because there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? Now look, if I was one of the good pastors here, I'd put all those words on the screen for you to see, but I'm not one of those guys. So I'm gonna repeat it. Listen to what he says. What sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and righteousness as you are waiting for the coming of the day of the Lord? And that's what we saw in the parable last week of the 10 virgins, the 10 bridesmaids. We're waiting, we're watching that at any moment Christ could return. And what if we really lived our lives if today could really be the day when Christ is gonna return in all of his glory and the day of resurrection? What if we really lived our lives that way? We are waiting for the coming of the day of God. But did you notice the other verb that he used? He says, we're not just waiting for that day. He says, we are hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. We are speeding along the coming of the day of the Lord. What? We, as individual Christians, as the church, are hastening what does Jesus mean, or what does Peter mean here? What is God showing us? It means, it at least means this, that Christ is working through us and through you, through your prayers, through your acts of service, through your acts of kindness, through your faithfulness to bring about the day of his return. What does that mean? It means that you have never done and you never will do an insignificant thing for Jesus Christ. It all counts. It is all a part of his plan, of his huge battle scheme to bring about the end of racism and injustice and violence and darkness and wickedness and disease and virus and death itself. And you are a part of that, Christian. You've never done anything, in even your tiniest, seemingly insignificant acts of faith, done in the name of Jesus Christ. Your prayers prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. It is all part of what he is using to bring this glorious day about. And some of you are in a marriage where your spouse is not a believer and it is difficult and it is hard and maybe at times you are even mocked because of your faith, your faithfulness in that matters. And at school or in your workplaces where maybe you think you're the only Christian, your faithfulness matters. It is all a part that Christ is using. Say, I can't change the world. I can't heal the world. Of course you can't heal the world. But you can reach out to whatever person is in front of you, whatever the situation is, and bring just a little bit of mending, just a little bit of healing. And that starts in your family with your husband or your wife, your children, children to your parents. You can bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. And you think when you walk into any given situation, maybe you think, how can I make this person's life 1% better? 
How can you make your neighborhood 1% better? You know, some of you, when you have picked up groceries for an elderly neighbor who cannot leave and cannot go to the grocery store, that is not just you picking up those groceries. That is Jesus Christ, and that is part of the mending and healing of this broken world. And Christ is using that. That is not an insignificant moment or an insignificant act of faith. And you know, in 2003... As I was driving back from the hospital wondering what in the world had just happened and what good could I have possibly done, what difference could I have possibly made, it was about three or four days later and we received word that he was still in the hospital. He was still alive. It was still my turn to go to the hospital. Oh, yippee, I get to go back. I'm driving back to the same hospital, to the same ICU, to the same room, what am I going to do this time? I walk into the room. No one was there, beeping of the machines, but this time he was sitting up in bed. And he was conscious. He was awake. He was alert. He looked at me, and he recognized me. He said, he beckoned me to come over. I walked over to his bed there. Again, this tall, huge Jamaican man, and he reached out with his big, strong hands, and he grabbed hold of my hand, and he said, Pastor and I said, well, I'm not really a pastor yet, but I, let's go with it. Pastor, when you came and visited me the other day, I had given up all hope. And when you read to me from the scriptures, you touched my soul in a way that no man, woman, or child has ever touched my soul, and you restored my faith in God. So, oh, is that all I did? Wonderful. I knew it all along. And of course, it wasn't I. It was Christ and the power of the word. Couldn't even think of anything else to read, but Psalm 23, mumbled a prayer, walked out. Oh, my goodness. And it was a couple of months later, I was able to serve him to be by his bedside when he did finally pass away in full faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. And I can count on a few fingers how many times in 15 years of being a pastor something that amazing and that awesome has actually happened to me. Normally, it's like the first visit where you don't know, you're not sure, did I make a difference? But when our identity is in Christ and we know that our ability flows from him and this is what Christ will say to you, imagine that day when you will open up your eyes, the day of resurrection, and you will see Jesus face to face. Exactly what he said to the faithful servants here, Jesus Christ will say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Ah, oh, but Jesus, you don't understand. I mean, there was all these times I was just spinning my wheels and, 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 and what difference was I making? Yeah, I know all those times. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah, but Jesus, I've been so lazy and I was so self-focused. So yeah, I know when you were lazy and I know all those times you were focused only on yourself. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Christ alone, be all the glory. Amen.